Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. morning. Yeah, so we're in Revelation right now. Try writing devotionals through Revelation. That's all I'm saying. I was so nervous to do that, and then it all worked out. I was like, whoo. Well, good morning. I have my little tea that's no longer hot, but we'll put that right there. And I'm so happy to be here this morning and talk to you about joy. Now, what is the difference between happiness and joy? So joy is a state of being. Now, happiness is that momentary laugh. It's that movie. It's that, you ever have a time when you just, I haven't had one in a good long time, but you know when you and someone just start laughing and you can't stop and like tears are coming down your face, right? There is some joy in that, but it's a moment. And joy is something that can carry you through and you can actually have all the time. Hebrews 12.12 says, For the joy set before him, our Lord Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. Romans 14.17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's this element of hope. And in the Greek, I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit, geek out on you, Greek out on you. Anyway, okay. But in Greek, the word hope is elpis, elpis. And it doesn't just mean hope, like hope I win the lottery. It's not that kind of hope. It is hope the sun rises. Now, if the sun doesn't rise, we are not here. We are in the presence of our Lord Jesus. But even here, as I've learned coming from Southern California to Oregon, even if I do not see the sun in the morning, if it is all gray, has the sun risen? Yes. Yes. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how gray things are, the sun has still risen. Can I get an amen? Amen. So this is the kind of hope that is embedded into joy. Now, I have to confess, I'm super excited to be with you this morning because I come from a four-square background, and I feel like I am with my people. So, amen. Can you get amen? Okay, so I am expecting some spirit-filled Christians to have an amen rise up in their soul at some point, or I praise the Lord. So, I want to do a little experiment with you. When I read these scriptures, I want you to think what rises in my soul when I hear this. Okay, you ready? Just to be a little inward. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Any amens? Amen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is joy. It's that warm amen that rises in your spirit. And it doesn't matter what kind of stuff is happening around us, we can still have that amen, can we not? For the joy set before him on the cross, there was a joy in the Lord's heart while being tortured because he knew what would come. I don't know what brings you here today or what your season. It's been a hard 
couple years. And I know for me personally, it's been a hard year. But I can still give an amen to my Lord. Amen? That is the joy in our hearts. So we are going to take a moment to learn something about the message of joy in the Christmas story as we look at Joseph, the shepherds, the Magi, and Mary. So we open with me in prayer before we go to the word of God. Amen. Lord God, I come before you this day and we thank you. Thank you for bringing us here to this moment. Thank you that the sun has risen. Thank you that you have risen, Jesus. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for the resurrection power of Jesus in the heart of this one listening. That no matter how gray the day, that they would have an amen and a joy in their heart. I pray, Lord, for a message for each one listening right now. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people said... Amen. All right. So the joy of Joseph. This is the joy of being welcomed home and loved. It's the joy of opening your heart to who's Jesus, not Jesus. Who is Joseph? Well, he's a stepdad. And we know from scripture that he's a kind man because, you know, when he found out Mary was pregnant, he could have said stoner, right? He could have just been nasty about the whole thing. But instead, because they were engaged, and in that culture, you've basically taken your wedding vows, but you don't live together for a year. So her getting pregnant was not what he was expecting, right? You marry a virgin, and his virgin bride is pregnant with a baby that is not his. Now, most men aren't going to have happy feelings in their heart when they hear that, right? Now, in fairness, here's, she would be young. I don't think she was 13 or 14, probably around 16, only because in the antiquity, they knew that uh, you could lose the mother if they had the baby too young. So they did like to wait. Not that women didn't get married and have children, 13, 14, 15, that happened. But often they, you know, I mean, if you have a daughter and you know it's dangerous for your daughter to have a baby at 13, 14, don't you just say, let's wait a few years? Of course you do. So imagine she's 16, probably sweet, she's innocent, and she comes to him and says, an angel came to me and filled me with the Holy Spirit, and I'm having God's baby. <laughs> so either she's lost her mind, right? Maybe she was raped and lost her mind, right? She's not thinking, right? Or someone took advantage of her. She's not known to be that kind of girl. And instead of being angry and self-righteous, he has kindness. He says, how can I put her away quietly? Right? He doesn't want to humiliate her. He doesn't want to bring her before people. So what do we know about Joseph? We don't know a lot. But we know he's a kind man. Right? We know he's proud of his lineage. He's proud to be a descendant of David. We know that he is obedient to God. Because God then says, wait, Joseph. Sends him an angelic message, right? And he says, you're going to take her as your wife, and you're going to call the baby's name, well, Joshua. We call him Jesus. And he was obedient. Do you know what that would have done to his reputation? Oh, so it is yours, Joseph. Or why? Why, why would you take this floozy, right? She, her name is besmirched. And he's respectful of Mary. He keeps her a virgin, it says, until after. He doesn't, even though they're married, he doesn't like sleep with her until after she has the baby. 
And we know that he raises the boy as his own. He gives him his name, his lineage. He provides for him. He protects him. And I am surmising he loved him. I had a loving stepfather, right? And it's a wonderful thing. And so let's look at the scripture, Luke 2, 1 to 7. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and a census was to be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, means house of bread, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She did not show, I hate to ruin this for you. She did not show up in Bethlehem, like ready, like water breaking the second they walked into Bethlehem. It was, you know, it was just the end of her pregnancy, but it wasn't like the day. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the... Nope. All right, we're going to cover that in two seconds. He, Joseph, was going home. Mary was actually also from the lineage of David, so for her it was a going home. This is kind of a weird thing, but I'm going to ask, see if you're going to participate. Has anyone ever went to an ancestral place, like for me it would be Mexico, I had this feeling, or in France. Has anyone ever gone to somewhere where your family had lived and you have this weird sense of being home? No, am I the only weirdo here? I am. All right. Go visit someplace your people are from. And I've heard other people say, yeah, I had this feeling of being home there. Well, he went home because of a census. And his census is to count people for taxes and war, right? I mean, he's like, how much money can I get these people if I need to throw them into the army? How many people do I got, right? That's the whole point of a census. And he's from the, the Davidic line, so he has to go to Bethlehem. So what would this mean for Joseph? Now, when we look at Palestinian and Middle Eastern families, um, they're very attached to their home family village. Like, I moved here in 2019, right? We, as Americans, we kind of pop around. But they didn't do that in antiquity. You, like, stayed in your space, and you did not leave, usually, right? I mean, Jesus is pretty mobile for the ancient world. Uh, but you might never travel 30 miles from your own home. Like, that's just where you were, and those were your people. And so he's traveling home, and his village, Bethlehem, especially because it was associated with the line of David, would have been a very integral part of his identity. So we have a slide. All right, so here is the traditional picture, right? I have two five-year-olds, so I have lots of Christmas books. It's annoying to have a mother like me, I'm sure, because I'm like, actually. But anyway, so they're pulled up to the inn, and he's like, sorry, there's no room. Mary's just about to have that baby. But actually, all right, so let's look at the next one. In the traditional story, they then get thrown out into a barn, right? Usually we see a hillside and an old dilapidated barn on the side, and you go inside and this is what you see, right? And then, now let's look at the next one. Here, oh, this works out nicely. It's not like way up there. All right, so they have traveled. This is Nazareth, comes all the way down. Samaria's here. Imagine kind of like Utah and people not wanting to go through where the Mormons were. It was the Samaritans and they would go way out of their way to avoid going there. So they come all the way down and they've come down here to Bethlehem, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And so they've made this journey and the next picture, 
I like, really like this one. This is a historical reconstruction of what Nazareth, which was in the north, remember? And Bethlehem down the house. So this is a historical reconstruction of first century Nazareth. Now, many of the homes are built into the side of the hill, which means there were caves with like a front. Does that make sense? And this is like an old water um, area that they have found. And this is what it would have looked like where they came from. In the Bible, it says, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? It's just a little town up above Sephora, which is like the, the capital of the Galilee, very cosmopolitan. And archaeologically, when we look at like pottery and such, going from Sephora up to Nazareth, you get all this kind of international stuff down in Sephora, and the closer you get to Nazareth, it all disappears, and it's only distinctly kind of homemade. Um, it's not just homemade, but it's Jewish-made pottery. This is a place where people who are real serious about their faith live. They don't even allow plates from around the world. Do you know what I mean? Like Jewish stuff only. Up in the mountains, it's like hill, they're hills. Um, we find this. Now, the next picture is a historical reconstruction of Bethlehem, which is just outside of Jerusalem. They also kind of have the cave houses, if you will. It, this is kind of like an idea of what it would have looked like. So hold that thought. So what happens when they arrive? And there's no room at the inn. Well, first of all, it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the Cataluma. And it's interesting because this word can be translated different ways. One way is in and one way is guest room. Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he puts, this, uh, he puts the Jewish man in a pandoxeon, an actual inn. That's not this word. And actually, it makes no sense that they went to the inn and there was no there's no one there because you have to understand all he has to do is show up in Bethlehem and say, I am Joseph, son of Jacob, son of Mathan, son of Eliezer, son of Eliud. And he'd be like, welcome. What can we do for you? They are honor bound to find him a place to stay, right? And he is honor bound to tell them who he is. I mean, has anybody ever had a relative drive by that you haven't seen in a while? Like on the five, they're like, oh, I just drove by Eugene. You're like, you didn't stop and say hi. I haven't seen you in three years, and you waved on the freeway. Anyone ever feel like a little indignant? That's how they're going to feel. How do you feel if the guy, your relative, your third cousin on your mother's side, shows up from Nazareth with his pregnant, you think it's his wife, but with the details. Anyway, she, they show up, and they don't come say hi. And when you see her great with child, do you just say, oh, nice of you to visit. Go find a place. No, there's no inn in town. You live in a place and a culture where hospitality is key. You say, take my bed. You say, here's a little spot by the fire. You do whatever you can do. Amen? Amen. So it would, we are actually thinking terrible things about them to even think they would go to an inn. But let me tell you, archaeologically speaking, Bethlehem is way too small to even have an inn. <laughs> there's no inn in Bethlehem. It's this little tiny place. So... What happens is this word, kataluma, uh, yes, show me the next picture. I, I know I'm off my slide, sorry. Okay, so this is an ancient house, and when you walk in, the lower level is for animals because it's cold outside and you don't want animals, other animals like wolves, to kill your animals. So you bring in your little sheep or whatever you've got, and you got a little manger there, and the next step up is the living space, and some people will stay on the roof if it's nice out, right? It's this area right here. 
So they have a guest room, but they're saying there's no room in the guest room. So what they're going to do is they're going to give them this lower area, which is still inside of the house. And there's a manger right there. So he's not, they haven't sent them out to some old dilapidated barn with no relative in town helping them out. Mary has a baby all by herself. That doesn't happen. They are, they are in a society built around hospitality. And he has come to his own village. He would be welcomed in. Uh, and also, can I just say, let's imagine, oh, there's a baby, perfect. All right, let's just imagine some lady comes in t- first time at church, we've never seen her before, great with child. Now, I had twins January 10th. When Christmas came, I was ginormous. It gave new meaning to the word great with child. So I imagine them coming in, this lady coming in, and we think, oh, how nice she came. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the first worship song, her water breaks. Do you ignore her? No! Do we, do we have any nurses, midwives, doctors? Right there. Do you ignore the lady? No. Do you go right over and help her? There were midwives in town, and they went straight to help Mary. She was not alone. Which, I mean, would it not be a terrible thing for you to ignore a lady and send her outside into a barn or a shed, and she's giving some little 16-year-old giving birth, and you're just like, have fun. Here's Joseph. He doesn't know how to help you. No! The midwives in town and the lady helpers and the relatives would have been hovering around her, right? They know she's about to give birth. And certainly when she gives birth, they would have been right there with her helping her. Mary was not alone. Mary was with extended family, which I have to side note. You remember the part in scripture where they say to Jesus, basically, yeah, well, at least we're not illegitimate. They never forgot that he wasn't Joseph's. The mean girls lived in Nazareth. I think it was actually kind of the Lord to send her to Bethlehem with some nice people. Anyways, the birth. She gives birth to her firstborn son. She wraps him in swaddling clothes, which is kind of like, do you ever play the game with toilet paper, like as a little kid, and you wrap the person up with toilet paper? That's what swaddling clothes are like. They're strips, and you wrap the baby up, and you tuck them in, and that's what she did. She wrapped the baby up, kind of like a little mummy, and in Middle Eastern culture, they would have experienced hospitality. They would have had their relatives there, um, and the location to stay. They're poor peasants, and frankly, this isn't such a bad place to give birth, isn't it? Birth is messy. You could just sweep all that out, and this makes a nice little crib. So actually, it's you know, maybe you would have went down there to give birth anyway, but they put her in a space that is conducive to giving birth. So what do we learn from Joseph? God was working through the respectable least of these. The Savior was for everyone. Next, the joy of the shepherds helps us to understand what it is to feel special. You see, the shepherds were the outcasts of society. They had a dirty job. You ever see dirty jobs? They had the dirtiest job, what people thought of. And if you had that job, you were sort of looked down on like, oh, you know? They didn't like that. And so it says, out with their flocks at night, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. They will cease great joy. That will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Now, that's a political message. 
In this world, Herod rules. And you say anything about some other ruler and you get yourself killed. So you understand, the birth of Jesus is political. All right? And these angels come and say that. And they say, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in the swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there, there should be another picture right there. Oh, yeah. See, that's another ancient house. Cool beans, right? All right. Next picture. All right. Suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude, there's got to be some History Channel watchers in here. A host is a legion, praising God and saying, now listen, a legion does not sing, oh, right, that's not, is that what you expect a thousand Roman soldiers to do? Welcome, baby Jesus. No, you don't expect that. This is why I didn't sing. All right, right? No, in a military gruff voice, this is my best military voice, I apologize to any veterans or current serving service people. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Right? That's what the angel said. Glory to God in the highest. Okay, next picture. Yeah, that's what we've got. No wonder the, the shepherds are like, whoa, right? You have a heavenly host. You have a legion bringing a military message and they have come to say glory to God in the highest. Do you have an amen? Amen. This is joy. It is terrifying. It is cold outside. This is a military message going to get you in trouble and dead probably. But amen to God, right? This is what is happening at this moment. It's an announcement. And these angels, they head straight to Bethlehem. And let me tell you something. If you are giving birth to the Son of God, and Mary knows she's giving birth to one who has a, mili who has a political role, do you expect the messenger to come in his dirty clothes from the fields or someone fancy in nice clothes from a palace? What's, what, what kind of messenger should be going to the birth of a future king? Fancy messenger, right? But no, God doesn't see that. God looks at these shepherds and says, you are the special one chosen to make this announcement. And they are sent, the lowest in society, sent into someone's home. And in many homes, they might have felt their poverty, right? If, they, if Jesus had born in a fancy place, maybe they'd have been like, shepherds, right? They wouldn't have liked them. But instead, they come in and find a baby in the lower part of a peasant home where they themselves might have been born, right? They feel at home. They faced no possible humiliation. Their Savior like them, lay in a manger. Your God is not calling you to something that would bring you humiliation. You are special to God. Just as you are, God wants to call you, he wants to use you for his glory, and he has a plan for you. You don't need a stack of degrees you don't need to live in a fancy house. You need to be obedient to the message that comes from on high. I know he has called you because each of his children have a call. And if you are the child of God, then you are an ambassador for Christ and he has sent you into this world to share the good news just as you are. Do you hear me? You are special 
You are chosen. You are called. You are loved. You are enough. And any other message comes from the pit of hell. Do you hear me? You are special. You are chosen. You are called. You are loved. You are enough. So they make their way to Mary and Joseph, and they find this baby lying in a manger. And it says, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. Everyone wants to feel special. And it warms your heart when you are. And Jesus, Joseph was actually told, the baby is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God sent a message from the heavens to the lowest in society because this Savior was for everyone. And in faraway places, we find the joy of the Magi, which means hope fulfilled. Matthew 2, 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Well, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. So he finds out what's the deal. He brings them secretly and finds out from them exactly when the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Can you imagine being Mary? Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been wrapped in a dream, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So we have another video, uh, not video, a slide right here. And this little timeline, I know I'm history professoring you. I hope that's cool. Okay, so this is the year zero because the God we serve all of modern time is based on his year of birth, which wasn't zero, but that's okay. Zero, Herod dies in four. This is BCE. So he has to be born before four, right? Because Herod's still alive. So very interesting, in the year 7, so here's Babylon, that's a 750-mile journey. It would take about three weeks by camel or donkey. And this is one of those Persian astronomers, not astrologers, no tarot card stuff. I mean, I don't really know, right? But astrology, they're looking at the stars, astronomy. See, now I'm messing Astronomy, they're studying the stars. That's what they tell us they look like from antiquity. This is Herod. Boo. Can everyone give me a boo? Boo. All right. And that's the journey that was made. So here's the interesting thing. We know from ancient almanacs in basically Babylon, and you, you understand like this stuff doesn't survive history normally, right? Like we have three copies of the thing, which is like 
major. But anyways, there were these signs in the sky, and they would have foretold, the way they would have understood them is that there was a change of um, regime or ruler coming, a new ruler was going to come, and uh, I'll spare you the details, but long story short, they would have seen it between November 7th and 20th. So, regardless, people debate, of course, all of this, but we know that's historical facts. Some foreigners came a long way and found Jesus. So what? I always ask my history students. So what? God sent a message in the heavens to the Gentiles because the Savior was for everyone. Well, most everyone... It says, verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So this is after all this has taken place. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and during the night they left Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son, because he's going to come back, right? When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the timeline he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel, because she was from Bethlehem, well, she died right by there, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Can you imagine some evil ruler coming to our city and saying, go kill every child, boy child, two and under. It's terrible. The birth of Jesus is a political threat to the current regime. Herod dies in 4 BC. He was insatiably ambitious. He taxed the people to not only bring them help. I mean, like, he taxed, he wanted to be, and he is known as Herod the Great because he took those taxes and built big stuff like big aqueducts and a whole harbor and he does all this stuff. But he's also extremely cruel. So when he builds these lavish palaces and have these big banquets, one of them is actually in a place called Masada. And it's like up this big, uh, how would you describe it? Like a bluff, like just out of the earth, this bluff pops up out in the middle of the desert. And there's a, there was like a fortress up there. He turns it into a palace at kind of like ledges like this, like boom, you're just, you know, I don't know what that is, like 500 feet down. And when he didn't like someone, he just pushed them off the edge. That's Herod. All right. He ended up murdering one of his wives and three of his children because he felt they were political threats. Anywho, the incarnation, and the word incarnation, carne, beef, meat, right? The Jesus in the flesh of Christ. I know, carne asada, Christmas incarnation. It shouldn't probably hold to go together, but you'll remember. All right, the incarnation of Christ brought jealousy, fear, wrath, and evil deeds into the heart of a ruler. You would like to think that a ruler would be excited about the birth of another ruler, but he was not. The Christ child and those associated with him faced death in Bethlehem. And the followers of Christ would face death in the years to come. You see, joy is not possible in an evil heart. Because joy is a fruit of the spirit. Don't worry, we're not going to end on this low note. Babies dying and Christians persecuted. Because we're going to end with Mary. The joy of Mary 
reminds us that joy is also something warm that we treasure in our hearts. So we'll go to the next slide. After the shepherds came, Luke 2.16 says they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. So we're kind of going back in time a little. We're pre-Egypt here. All right. And the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then we find out Jesus is a boy, stays at the temple when his parents return, right? Why were you searching for me, he asked. And you know, I know, I jumped time there. All right, so go forward 12 years. I was in my father's house, but they didn't understand what was saying to them. And then again, we hear the scripture say, then he went to Nazareth and with them was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom. What's up? Shepherds come, tell her all this stuff. She treasures it in her heart. 12 years later, there's a whole incident. I was in my father's house. She treasures it in her heart. Mary knew her son was special. She knew that God was his father. She knew that Jace, Joseph, because don't you sometimes doubt yourself, right? You're like, did I really am it? Joseph was told in a dream by God. The shepherds affirmed it again, but the angelic host the Magi affirm this. Jesus' own self-knowledge of who he is, I'm in my father's house, affirms this. Can I just say, I've, I read ancient documents. I don't read any that recall what a mother treasured in her heart. But our God does. He cares about mothers, and he cares about what they treasure in their heart. <coughs> you see, <coughs> I'm so sorry. The thing you don't want to happen while you're talking. <coughs> Has God <clears throat> ever done anything in your life that has great meaning to you now that you treasure in your heart? <coughs> A warm, happy thought from time before. There's joy in that. It's not the happiness of a laugh. It's the joy of something that was beautiful. This is Mary treasuring this in her heart. So what? This recorded glimpse into Mary's inner life reveals that God cares for the individual. The Savior is for everyone. In conclusion, <clears throat> as I take another sip of my cold tea, <clears throat> what about your joy? What is joy? Well, there are a lot of answers. Joseph shows us joy can be connected to feeling welcome and at home. The shepherds reveal the joy of an outcast being accepted and loved. The magi show us an unexpected hope and hope fulfilled. Herod reminds us that joy is a fruit of the spirit and of God working in your life. And Mary is a picture of joy as something we warmly treasure in our hearts. But what about you? Let me say to you right now, and in Jesus' name I will be able to say it to you. In Christ, you are 
are welcomed. You are home in Jesus. You have a family in Christ. It doesn't matter what your jobs or your finances are. You are accepted and loved just as you are. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For we are one in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, through his spirit, we can have joy. It is a promise of scripture. Joy is a promise of scripture for you. In Christ, you are loved personally and individually. So this joy is for you. Can I pray for your joy? Let's pray. Lord God, I come before you right now and I lift up each one sitting here. Lord, you know what they have been through. You know the things on their mind. You know the things on their heart, Lord. You know if they've been having happiness or they've been having bummers. But Father, I lift this one up to you right now. And I pray, Father, I pray that you would give them the hope and the confidence of knowing that you have called them, you have chosen them, that you love them, and that it is your will that they would have this joy in their heart and in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would take down any negative thought that says that they are not wanted, that they have not been loved, that God chooses someone smarter, better, kinder, someone with a better path. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and I pray, Jesus, that you would encourage this one today, that you have set them I'm here today to hear you say, I love you, child. You are mine. I have called you. I have a future and a plan and a hope for you. Come and follow me into joy abundant. I pray this blessing on each one listening today. In Jesus' name, amen.